Hey y'all and welcome to Ain't No Such Thing, where we tell original southern horror stories. My name is Amanda, and I've got a good one for you tonight. The Baptist 4. Bay of the Holy Spirit God ain't real, y'all. That's what Ronnie wanted to say, but bit his tongue instead. His hirsute forearm dabbed sweat from his eyebrows to clear eyes regarding a silent protest march past the boat launch in the sweltering August dawn. The amalgamated congregations of the Southern Assembly of the Churches of God paraded in their Sunday finery, levitating against the causeway that zipped together the slate blue sky and its exact reflection on the still of Mobile Bay beyond. Their Kmart poster boards bore magic marker slogans to lobby Alabama the Beautiful to change the legal title of Mobile Bay to one more in keeping with the Protestant ethic of the Bible Belt, the Bay of the Holy Spirit. Ronnie was a six of one, half a dozen of another kind of guy. The bay was the bay, no matter what name he gave it. The shrimp and the crabs were plentiful, and there were gators to be hunted in those scant summer weeks. And that's what mattered. But there was one entrepreneur-come-holy man, a snowbird from Detroit, if you can imagine, bound and determined to baptize an actual body of water and rechristen it as the property of one member of the Holy Trinity. Rumor was, this fellow made his money upon invention of the electronic cruise control, which didn't impress Ronnie none. He didn't trust no machine to decide matters of velocity and following distance, not when he had eyes and hands and feet that functioned perfectly well. A tip of his green mesh-back cat ball cap to a passing brunette protester of notable face, and Ronnie got back to preparations for the day's hunt. Sean approached with two bags of ice balanced on his right shoulder. I see the beauty of the Almighty's creations got you thinking about going back to services, grinned Ronnie's grade school buddy. Got me thinking I might ought to reconsider several of my Sunday pastimes, he retorted, and cranked the winch slowly to ease the borrowed bass tracker from trailer to Tensaw River Delta mud water. In 1994, the state released 200 alligator possession tags to licensed hunters decided by lottery. Ronnie didn't get picked. He never won anything in his whole life. But Sean did. Spelling bees, cakewalks, Red Rover, and a spot in the 94 gator hunt. So... There they were, ready to take down a critter of the Cretaceous in America's Amazon, with nary a kill between them besides a five-point buck Ronnie plowed with his AMC gremlin his junior year. But those boys knew the Delta, if they knew precious little about slaying the beasts within her. Since a 14th birthday excursion, they kayaked and canoed those reed-lined channels on baked southern mornings till orange-soaked sundowns at least every couple of months, more during summer vacation. On the odd occasion they could swindle Uncle Charlie out of his motorboat for a few hours, they rode up to Gravine Island and piddled around with rods and reels until they got tired of getting no bites. All those minutes upon hours in the labyrinth of the Tensaw meant intimate knowledge of the gator community therein. Ronnie and Sean named a bunch of them, usually based on size or swimming habits or particular haunts as inspiration struck. There was Godzilla, of course. There was always a Godzilla. But... Then there was Mudflap, and Flotilla, and Bankhead, an especially clever double entendre nod to both the decades-old tunnel under the Mobile River and the river's edge where the old girl sunned herself in the cooling autumn. But it was Log Roll that they were after that day. An alligator possession tag from the Alabama Department of Conservation and Natural Resources allowed for one single kill per season and no more. 
and theirs was reserved for the 14-foot behemoth who, during a sandbar barbecue two years past, gobbled down Ronnie's long-haired dashound, name of Pete. Log Roll frequented the shallows east of the island, made herself fat off the blissful obliviousness of wandering pets of lifestyle anglers and their families. She drifted about, gnarly green-brown and half-submerged, and she lolled a quarter turn this way or that half the time, like a knotted, rotting old pine trunk down by a hurricane so far past it was then just a cautionary tale on the whispers of gas station wise men. Ronnie plotted to avenge Pete every sleepless night since the little guy yelped his last on an ill-fated tennis ball fetch. Thus the best friends found themselves puttering up the Delta, men on a mission. What do you think about them changing the name of the bay and all? Sean asked, steering the boat away from the launch and leftward into an open channel. Ronnie sniffed the wet morning air, scratched at his neck. The bay is the bay, he recited from his earlier internal monologue. I don't care what you call it, but naming it for something out of the Bible don't make the crabs grow bigger or the shrimp taste better, you know? Sean took that en route to the darkening reeds. You don't believe in God, do you? He finally uttered from beneath his classic Braves A ball cap. Ronnie stared down at the treble hook he secured to a 100-pound test line with a good old clinch knot. No, he managed. Never did. How's your mama feel about that? Sean chuckled. Shit, Ronnie exhaled. She don't know and ain't ever gonna know. Admitting atheism in the South was akin to confessing to a murder that didn't happen, forced to feel guilty over something that never existed. But Ronnie felt a little better sharing his crime with somebody, even if it meant Sean henceforth considered him a little more alien than before, like a teetotaler or a Yankee flown south to the coast upon retirement. Well, I won't tell nobody else if you don't, Sean assured him with a tug of his cat brim over his eyes. Ronnie licked a bead of blood from his hook-prick finger. Deal. They only saw one other hunting party on the trek up to Gravine Island, a real professional outfit, five camouflaged and graying baby boomers, all rigged up in a pontoon boat, heavy-duty reels protruding from every side like antenna from the world's most redneck satellite. These dudes were after Godzilla setting up in these parts. The boys nodded good morning and kept motoring. Ronnie inwardly wished luck to Godzilla. He had nothing against alligators as a species. His beef was particular to the one that chewed up his furry little partner. Some rookie maneuvers in the dark added 15 or 20 minutes to the 30-minute slow ride to Log Roll's neck of the woods. Bonus time for Ronnie to triple-check the treble hooks and the lines that fed from them into the three borrowed reels snuggled together at the bottom of the boat. He couldn't imagine these half-assed devices would subdue a full-grown gator, but the rules of the tags were what they were. No getting around that. Sean shut the motor off a good 200 yards from the site of Pete's last stand, and a choir of crickets and frogs overtook the pre-dawn air, underscored by the lapping water on the gliding bass tracker hull. High-beam flashlights overhead, they each scanned opposite fields of the delta flow, squinting through the dark for any glimpse of gnarly green-brown adrift. Neither spoke, afraid the gator on his home field might ascertain their tactics and turn the tables in some master stratagem worthy of MacArthur or Pershing. Ronnie reminded himself that even the most frightening reptiles had little grasp of even conversational English. Anything? 
he ventured across the length of the boat towards Sean. He heard Sean shake his head in the negative. Water's low around the sandbar. Sean finally whispered, Let's turn about away from the island. Ronnie took the oar from the bench behind him, dipped it left into and through the water in a single, strong, and silent stroke, pulling wide to push the boat's nose rightward and away from Gravine, just as Sean suggested. He was in full stealth mode, running silent and invisible in that turning arc, and finally perpendicularly back out into the night. Silent? Yes, silent. The chirping and croaking chorus shrank away to some distant radius of safe noise-making, a sphere of natural inactivity that could only mean a predator was about, which could be the hunters themselves. But it was probably... Sean's upturned open palm shot back at Ronnie, the flashlight in his other hand now hard on something ahead. Ronnie stilled the paddle in the water. The boat slowed, listed only enough to make him flinch with anxious anticipation at the cost of that clumsiness. Sean breathed. I see her. Ronnie didn't look, didn't need to look, instead lifted the rod most trustworthy by appearance and perfected his grip on its handle. The boat rotated to the right in a slow arc that was painstaking, but Sean's beam remained on the same point in the water, a magnet that found its true north. Ronnie saw her then, barely visible eyes and nostrils on the brown water surface, the very countenance of gloating. I'm sorry, Pete, he muttered to himself for the thousandth damn time and let the treble hook fly. The cast was true, splashing down maybe five feet beyond where Ronnie saw a log roll. Her head jerked right at the impact, a reflex that triggered his own. A seasoned fisherman's wrist flick back on the rod handle, and the treble hook sliced through obsidian ripples to find sharp purchase in the leather of the gator's right flank. Got her! Ronnie yelled without realizing. Oh, shit! Sean replied and scrambled for something beneath him in the boat. Log roll stuck to her namesake in a solo performance only half seen by the men who set it off. She rolled violently away from the boat, wrapping the heavy line around her and briefly staggering Ronnie. Sweat and nerves sprang forth from within him, but he caught himself in a splayed running stance to pull up on the rope and leave some slack for her to fight. Sean raised a highly rigged adjustable painter's pole from the bottom of the boat as if he'd just pulled Excalibur from her stone. Snares ready, he proclaimed. Ronnie worked to maintain his place in the boat while the rod torqued and bent at arcs he was sure its component materials weren't meant to withstand. Log roll fought beneath the surface, so he judged her location from the point of the rod. Ronnie warned, She's not close yet. You sure the loop is big enough? Sean examined the metal cable looped through the hog snare at the end of the pole, tugged at it with doubt in his eyes. I think so, he uttered with little confidence. You better know so. Ronnie retorted and pulled up hard on the rod. The treble hooks were set and unforgiving. Ronnie felt some pride in that realization. Sean inched toward him with the snare rig extended out over the roiling water. They were ready. But Logroll stopped fighting. The line remained taut, but still as death. The water pacified itself in but a moment. Only their adrenaline broke in waves then. Ronnie's throat went dry. He looked to Sean, speechless. The others whisper, drowned out by the renewed singing of the Delta Night Chorus. Ronnie flicked his wrist, tugged at the unbudging line, uncertain whether to pull harder or drop the reel into the drink. 
He inhaled to ask Sean's opinion, relaxed one iota, and something beneath the water snatched the line down and away, spinning the reel in a tearing squawk and ripped the rod from his grasping hands. His tenuous equilibrium flowed forward and lifted him overboard. The water was the gross, lukewarm temperature of collard greens after an hour outside at the potluck, and it smelled about as bad. He panicked as much from those sensations as from the fear the gator had tricked him into her arena. His reaching arms found the boat further away than he expected, and his scream for help turned to blubber and gobbledygook at the delta's surface. Somewhere on high, God was laughing at this inept idiot of an unbeliever. Ronnie! He could almost hear Sean yell as he extended the snare pole for him to grab. Ronnie pulled his arm back to initiate a swim stroke, and Logroll took it from behind him. The massive jaw slammed teeth into top and bottom of both forearm and bicep of the bent appendage, and plied it away from his shoulder as though it was a day-old fried chicken leg. Ronnie, twisted around from the force of the attack, came face to face with his murderer. A couple of his fingers dangled between bloodied teeth. Those are mine, were the only words he could muster before listing back into the water to await the next bite. He saw the halo of the snare cable pass over him in slow motion. Sean's attempt to seal the gator's jaws and prevent another attack became allegory for Ronnie's arrogant abandonment of everything he was taught about the Almighty from birth. The brackish blood of the Delta infiltrated his mouth and his nostrils, and with it came reassurance. It's never too late, he heard amongst the flowing tinkle of the waters in his head. Sean tapped the head of the munching log roll with the snare loop and tried too hard to slam it around her snout. He overcompensated and pulled back too hard and the snare popped loose to catch on the nearest protrusion from the water. Something grabbed Ronnie's neck in a vice that tightened with every motion. It was cold and hard, not teeth, but the halo. It cut off his wind, cleared his mind to hear the soothing voice in the water. You can still be saved still be baptized in the blood in these very waters it sang to him in the boat sean wiped away tears to try to line up the sights on his rifle in the dark the gator lurked too near ronnie asphyxiating from the snare sean dropped around his neck and there was something else the water around ronnie moved of its own accord it flowed up against his bulging neck and face and into every orifice a trick of what little light there was out there had to be. Sean pulled the trigger, and the crack of the shot coincided with a spray of fluids from the skull of Log Roll. Bullseye. The gator down, Sean lifted his gaze to Ronnie. He had to get to him, to cut that loop cable, but he was nowhere to be seen. Then, neither was the gator. Both combatants disappeared beneath the delta. He couldn't leave Ronnie for dead down there. He dropped in the trolling motor and deftly maneuvered to the spot he last saw his choking friend. His light only penetrated a foot or two beneath the roiling surface, but there was a shadow of something there. A head, maybe. Ronnie! Sean yelped and splashed a hand into the murk. The water there was not water at all. Viscous and tensile, it squeezed at his wrist enough to frighten him, and he pulled his hand away against some resistance. The head below turned up to face him. He knew, though he distinguished no eyes or nose or mouth in the dark, and at that moment, Sean wanted to flee. He knew he had to get away like from no other situation he ever encountered. 
He crab-walked back along the bottom of the bass tracker, hyperventilating a little, and trying to remember how to start the Evan Rude motor that was his ticket back to land. A tinkling sound of seeping, separating water overtook his panting, and Sean stopped breathing altogether to listen. That head was out of the water and staring at him as it rose beyond the profile of the boat. He saw the eyes of the thing clear as day, Ronnie's eyes simultaneously dead and aflame with something beyond life. They glowed from within and behind, above a reptilian snout where his nose and mouth used to be, fused to the once human head by ropes of fluid that might have been water before knowing the taint of the power that then motivated them. The paralysis of fear set in as Sean attempted in vain to decipher the mixed flesh and fluid golem sheathed by the delta and buoyed by her from below. Before his eyes, the water shredded the components of that composite creature and rearranged the pieces into a thing more horrible and yet more perfect. Ronnie's remaining arm rent itself away, both shoulder sockets subsequently loaded with gator forelegs that flexed their webbed digits experimentally before possessed and gawking eyes. Disjoined legs gave way to the massive, gnarly tail jammed into his tapered thorax in the fashion of a crocodilian mermaid suspended in the upflow of the unnatural tide beneath and about. From somewhere behind that Frankenstein chimera, liquid streams pushed a flap of gator skin up and over Ronnie's skull like a hood, one eye still gleaming from a waiting hole. A flame's tiny light sprang from the scaled cowl opposite, where the covered eye waited, ignited into a golden fire that chased diagonally down from left to right to form a blazing, inverted cross as it took its final shape. The eye above the burning hood found Sean again, the boat's bow now a good twelve feet beneath its vantage point. The gator jaw clapped emptily, belching a tide spray as it learned to speak. Ronnie, was all Sean could muster from a dry throat blockaded by a risen heart. But Ronnie was no more, just a portion of this Rubik's Cube of a monstrosity, ever shifting its parts and its pieces in the spiritual riptide that animated it. A low groan like the breaking of stone escaped its snout. He didn't believe, it erupted. But... He believes now. Sean couldn't scuttle any further back in the boat, but the amalgamated Ronnie and Log Roll leaned over him nonetheless, a frozen wave in defiance of God and biology and physics. Unholy droplets escaped its form to sizzle on his burning brow and seep into his eyes. It hurt. The inflamed hood and rows of teeth bent so close he smelled their swampy putrescence. God is real. It regurgitated. Sean never believed less in God than at that very second of challenge. Hypocrisy spewed from Ronnie's own face, or part of it, and from this most ungodly stop-motion fright hanging over him. The thing's eye met his and held it. Pellets of unholy water dripped the few inches from the monstrous face to his, finding and invading his orifices with intent. Do 
You believe? The liquid leavings coalesced in his nostrils and sinuses and throat to take hold of his mind and his tongue. Sean felt it, felt his free will, sliding away in the gulf stream of filth that already shredded his tissues from the inside to add to its swirling scraps. But his tongue held one final flap. His win streak, one last victory. No. Ronnie was right. Sean's left eye collapsed in its socket, sucked empty by the undertow in his head. There ain't no God. And his blasphemer's tongue unraveled from the back of his throat like Christmas ribbon and wrapped itself into the undulating congregation of meat wound up into stalking waters on a mission downstream to sanctify the Bay of the Holy Spirit. You've been listening to Ain't No Such Thing, The Baptist, for Bay of the Holy Spirit. Written by Kevin Laporte. Narrated and produced by Amanda Rachels. We've adventured a bit in the Tensaw River Delta, so this story has a creepy little bit of home to it for us. <laughs> and I hope you enjoyed it. And if you have not heard the other Baptist-related stories in our series, we're going to link them in the notes for this podcast. There's at least one more to go. We hope you enjoyed this story, and I also hope that you will subscribe wherever you get your podcast. It ain't no such thing. We are hanging out on Facebook in our Ain't No Such Thing group, and you can also find us on Instagram at Ain't No Such Thing Pod. You all take care, and we'll be back with another one for you real soon. <laughs>